Happy New Year, and welcome to La Jolla Presbyterian Church's sermon podcast for New Year's Day, January 1st, 2017. This morning, Reverend Scott Mitchell is preaching. Scott is looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, with a sermon titled, What Was That All About? Please listen after the sermon for a few announcements. You can also learn about what is happening at La Jolla Press by visiting our website, ljpress.org, downloading the La Jolla Press app on your smartphone or tablet, or by contacting the church office at 858-454-0713. And now, here's Scott with What Was That All About? We're looking this morning at the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, which is a great sort of salvation story. So we're going to be reading from the 5th through the 18th verses of Hebrews 2. Listen 2 and 4, the Word of God. Now God did not subject... The coming of the world about which we are speaking to angels. But someone has testified somewhere, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, or mortals that you care for them? You have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, And the children whom God has given me. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Growing up in the rainy winters of Northern California in those 
misty days of yore when there were no computers and uh, no cell phones and only about three channels on our television, me and my six siblings were hard-pressed to, to improvise vigorous indoor games. And the one major successfully exciting game that we managed to create was called Big Spider. Uh, Big Spider was a, a relatively simple game. At its most exciting, it usually involved me and my brothers and maybe a sister or perhaps a, a neighbor boy all down at the more lighted end of the hallway. And then down at the other, completely dark, no windows into the hallway, was my oldest, meanest, most sadistic brother. He was the big spider. And the object of our side of the game was for us to go as far down the hallway as we could without getting caught by big spider, who we couldn't see in the first place. So the object of Big Spider's side of the game was simply to catch us by surprise, to pummel us within an inch of our lives, and uh, which he usually did with a lot of skill and glee. The game was always weighted in my big brother's favor. So we would inch our way down the hallway. We would be yelling out to, to make him think we weren't as terrified as we actually were. And we would hear these noises down at the other end of the hallway. We'd hear this sort of scratching and clawing like rats in the walls. Sometimes we would check it out, and we'd, and we'd run back because of the tension. Other times, uh, we'd become so overwhelmed by the tension that we'd finally give in to it and just rush headlong down to the oblivion of Big Spider. Somehow it seemed better that to just get it over once and for all than to constantly be in this paralyzing tension and fear. Well, of course, being a good father, once I grew up, I taught this game of Big Spider to my children, and uh, they played it for many years with their cousins. And it still holds this sort of morbid attraction for all the children who have learned these dark arts. We will come back to Big Spider in a moment. For now, I'd just like to say that there are a number of reasons why we, we just celebrated the birth of the Advent Christ and why we do it every year at Christmas time. It is a, a church celebration. We know that. We, in we inherited that. For many, though, it's, it's simply a, a celebration of the winter solstice, a, a chance to be joyful on the shortest and often the coldest or at least wettest day of the year. Shut everything else out of this cold, dreary December day and, and have a little bit of fun. Let's shake our fist at the gloom. Let's, let's taunt winter by bringing a, a tree into the, into the house and, and decorating it with warmth. Gather ye holly and mistletoe while ye may. It's the best we can, to, we can do until January returns us to the big spider of reality, which is usually the annual exercise blitz. Christians don't believe that that is all there is to Christmas. Sometimes, though, the season is such a blur, though, that after the fact, we have to ask, what was that all about? What is the big deal about Christmas, anyway? This morning, we're going to look at three 
meanings of Christmas that Hebrews 2 shares with us. Three things that Christmas is about. First, Christmas is about love. Second, Christmas is about life. And third, Christmas is about forgiveness. First and foremost, Christmas is about love. Now, I'm not talking about the human love that we have for one another or, or about Christmas engagement rings. Uh, the kind of love I'm referring to is hinted at in our passage from Psalm 8, which is what is quoted early on. What are human beings that you are mindful of them or mortals that you care for them? This is the kind of love, the kind of care, where despite us assuming that the God of the universe couldn't possibly be interested in us, we find to our surprise that God does indeed care for us. It's a love for those who assume that they have been forgotten, for those who can't understand why they are worth more to God than they could ever imagine. Supposing a longtime matron saint shut in here at La Jolla Presbyterian Church, wanted a quilt, and, and the word went out uh, about that. And, and supposing I was a master quilter, and you were a, a beginner, <laughs> um, but I chose not to make a quilt, and you went ahead and created one. Now, supposing that what you created was, well, bless you, not very good, and, um, but it was the absolute best that you could do. And supposing that once I saw the quality of your quilt resting there on the matron saint's lap, I decided that I was going to make a quilt that was more beautifully crafted, more worthy uh, than yours was. And, and so I made one, belatedly, and I gave it to her. Between the two of us, which quilt do you think would be more precious to her? While she might be impressed by the craftsmanship of my quilt, I guarantee that your quilt would be more precious to her. God is like that matron saint. God values us not because of what we are able by our abilities to give to God, Rather, maybe by the simple act of creating us, God just appreciates us like we would and when we would make a quilt. We make it with love. And we love that quilt. God is like that. Who, who can fully explain why God loves us? God has just chosen to love us. That's all there is to it. And by the way, I could not quilt my way out of a seminary classroom, let alone the sewing circle. So just let's make that clear. Christmas is about love. It's also about life, or, or more to the point, life after death. Looking back at it, our game of Big Spider was really something like a, a child's crude attempt to deal with the bigness of life and mortality. Since Hebrews 2 reminds us, as it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to human beings. So, so therefore, looking at that, that passage, Big Spider then turns out to be a, a, a childish attempt to force the crisis moment or to face the worst. 
because we know everything's out of our control. But our lives on this planet come, to, come down to nothing more and nothing less than what we think about Jesus Christ. Karl Barth once said, tell me what you think about Jesus and I'll tell you who you are. While it says in Hebrews 2 that we can't see much order here on earth, it does say this also, but we can see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Because of the suffering. Interesting. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10. It was fitting that God should make the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through sufferings. Now, in my way of thinking, it was humiliating enough that God should lower himself to become fully human, to confront the same uh, fears of life and death that I experienced, but then to suffer at our hands. But that was God's plan. Our scripture refers to Jesus as the pioneer of our salvation. Now, pioneer is, a, is a, a guide, a leader, a scout, a hero, a champion. And someone they are someone who goes ahead to first establish and then show us what salvation, in this case, is all about. And so anyone signing up for this duty better expect trials and suffering. Imposters need not apply. George Everett Ross tells a story from the early days of the Salvation Army, and I know many of you love the Salvation Army. My, my father and my grandfather loved the Salvation Army. And, and uh, some, someone was touring the countryside claiming that they were the, the reincarnation or the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they were very charismatic, and they had this magnetic speaking ability, and, and they claimed they could heal the sick and, and give sight to the blind and perform a, a host of other miracles, and, and they had a large following. So one evening, he was, he was lecturing in London in a hall, and suddenly, you could hear music, the sound of music growing in volume. And it was the Salvation Army band, and they were approaching. In fact, they, they came into the hall with all of their horns blaring and, and their music marching right up the, the center aisle to where the speaker was. And then the music just stopped, and the Salvation Army captain said, asked, Are you really the Christ? Tell us plainly. Yes, the speaker said. I am the Christ returned to earth. And the captain looked him straight in the eyes and he said, Very well then, show us your hands. And at that point, the Salvation Army band, they began to play again this song, I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails on his hands. If you ever want to know if you're really seeing Christ, check the hands. And if that doesn't convince you, check the side. And I'm guessing there's probably some scars from that, that thorn, uh, the crown of thorns was around his head as well. Imposters need not apply. Only one willing to suffer for humanity. It was fitting that Christ suffer because only then could he know what we human beings deal with. 
Only then would he be qualified for the task of saving us. Because he would know what it was like to live and to die as a human being. Now when Christ sees humans, human beings suffering, he can relate to it because he went through it. And not only that, verse 18 says, because he was tested what, uh, by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are also being tested. Verse 15 says, but Christ went through death himself in order to destroy the power of death and free us from it. For we have been held in slavery by the fear of death. Friends, Christmas, the birth of Christ, is about the beginning of the end of death and our fear of it. Jesus came to banish the big spider. In fact, he came to to banish the biggest spider of all, the one we are most hush-hush about, death. Which means Christmas is truly about life eternal for you and for me. Christmas is about love. Christmas is about eternal life. Christmas is finally about forgiveness. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He's also the high priest. Hebrews 2 says, Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be merciful and faithful, the service of God for the atonement of all the sins of the people. Now let's talk about sin for a New Year's Day moment. E.O. Wilson, in his book, The Meaning of Human Existence, uh, he's an atheist, he tells us that while trained anthropologists these days won't speak of sin, they will speak of the Paleolithic curse. Here's what he says. Human beings are not wicked by nature. The problem holding everything up thus far is that Homo sapiens is an innately dysfunctional species. We are hampered by the Paleolithic curse. Genetic adaptations that worked very well for millions of years of hunter-gatherer existence, but are increasingly a hindrance in a globally urban and techno-scientific society. We cannot control our hunter-gatherer traits that live on now in a very different world than when we formulated them. We fall victim to tribalism. Now, the fields of evolutionary, and psych, uh, evolutionary psychology and biology have their own takes on sin, and they speak of the selfish gene on the one hand and, and altruistic genes on the other. A, selfish, a single selfish person can get away with, with their selfish actions for a while, maybe even for an entire lifetime. And it won't usually bring society down. But let an entire society resort to mass selfishness, the selfish gene gone global, and it will quickly move us all toward the end of the world as we know it. Society can get away with a selfish gene here and there, but it cannot survive where there's a majority of selfish genes, of selfish people. Society survives only when the majority of its people are not selfish. Only when society has a majority of altruistic genes can its members survive. That sort of reminds me of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
Well, whatever you may think of the science, the Paleolithic curse or the selfish gene, altruistic genes theories, they all relate to what Christians call original sin, which is one reason the Christmas declaration of peace on earth is so incredibly important. Only when someone, in this case, God through Jesus Christ, establishes forgiveness of sin, can there ever be peace on earth. Along with love and eternal life, Christmas declares to us the importance of forgiveness. And I want us to think just for a moment here about the anatomy of forgiveness. We often look with dismay at the the old Hebrew rites of animal sacrifice and of so many other religions that do that. Um, And I don't want us to reinstitute it, but I wonder if perhaps they weren't onto something. Most of us, when we do something wrong, we utter this overblown phrase like, oh, I could just kill myself. It's out before we even think about what or where that came from. We know it's hyperbole, but what is it in our souls that feels the need to sacrifice ourselves for our mistakes? And then there are those people who blame others for their own mistakes, and strife and violence are often the result of this personal denial, or worse. Friends, Christmas is God in Christ finally declaring enough. Stop killing yourselves and each other. Kill me instead. Let me, once and for all, be the sacrifice that forgives all of you, that heals all of your wounds. That's why Christ came. To heal us. To bring forgiveness. And if you don't think forgiveness is perhaps the short of love, the most important thing on this planet, look again. Where it's missing, the world is not safe. Love, eternal life, forgiveness. These are what that, what Christmas is all about. These are the most precious gifts from our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank God for them. Thank God for Jesus. Thank you, Scott, and thank you for listening. Here's some of what's happening at La Jolla Plaza as we start the new year. You can find a complete listing on our website at ljplaza.org. In 2017, we are going to be focusing on three big stories. God's story of love and redemption, your story and getting to know and hear from you, and seeing how this overlap to create our story. The first step of this process is called Begin. We are hosting a special Begin event on January 28th, and would like to invite you to come and hear about this exciting journey. Please mark your calendars and set aside the morning of January 28th to come and begin. On January 15th, Pastor Paul will start his new winter sermon series. Growth groups will also be restarting that week. This is a great time to go into a growth group, meet new friends, and get connected. There will be a growth group table in the courtyard on Sunday mornings, or you can contact Book Phelps at bookp at ljpress.org. 
If you would like more information about these announcements or anything else happening at La Jolla Press, you can find our website at ljpress.org. That's L-J-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. Or call the church office at 858-454-0713. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.